Hello, it's 30th of March 2020, and this is episode 136 of Scavengers Horde, a Star Wars podcast. I'm Rachel. And I'm Kirsty. We're here to deliver a regular rundown of Star Wars news, analysis, and commentary, with a focus on the sequel trilogy and the future of the series. And how has your week in Star Wars been, Rachel? It's been completely filled by Star Wars resistance in terms of Star Wars, which is really good because it was sort of like hanging over me that this is a show that I've been watching since the beginning and I do really enjoy and really like, but I just fell off the wagon in a big way after the rise of Skywalker, basically. (laughs) Um, And yeah, I really wanted to make sure that we could actually have a discussion to round off the show and yeah, sum up our thoughts on the show as a whole and the last few episodes so yeah, I got through it. Sorry, that makes it sound like it was an ordeal. It wasn't an ordeal. I did enjoy it. Um, but yeah, it just hadn't felt like this pressing need to watch it, you know, so I did have to like summon up the effort. Um, but yeah, I'm glad I did. I did enjoy it. And we'll obviously get into more about our feelings and opinions. Um, how about you, Kirsty? Yeah, well, just kind of to run off what you said like I I totally understand and I think we've talked about this before how there's kind of this weird scheduling convergence where the Rise of Skywalker came out the Mandalorian was wrapping up Resistance was wrapping up and it was like whoa this is almost too much Star Wars <laughs> or at least I can't focus on everything at once mm, so yeah. um it took me a few weeks to kind of go back to Resistance afterwards as well and I I almost forgot it existed <laughs> which again I know sounds bad because we really liked the show um, and we're, we're excited to talk about it today but um, just at the time it was like I couldn't focus on it like even though it's in the sequel trilogy era it just felt somehow separate and e- everyone was talking about the rise of Skywalker like that was the big thing in the fandom wasn't it so yeah um, and I think it's kind of a shame really because Resistance is a good show and there's a lot to talk about there and even now I feel like it just it did kind of get lost in the shuffle because the movie's always going to overshadow something like that. Um, so even now, I don't see a ton of discussion going on about it. Maybe I'm just not following the right people or I'm not looking in the right places. Um, but it does kind of seem like the little black sheep of the Star Wars content. Yeah. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's just kind of the impression I get. Yeah, no, I get a similar vibe. It really does seem to be dramatically overlooked. I'd really hope that now it's on Disney Plus, I think, that yeah. hopefully it will get more viewers that way. But I That's guess true. realistically, the most engaged viewers of a show like that will be children. And you're not going to have like eight, nine year olds on Twitter talking about Star's Resistance. That's true. Hopefully, like in five, six years when they're teens, there will be people who are really passionate about Kaz and Tam and Sonara. And they'll all suddenly have their own Tumblr blogs and Twitter fan pages and stuff that would be nice (laughs) that's true and you know when I I went back to watch the first few episodes of season one to prep for this discussion and it almost made me nostalgic even though of course it wasn't that long ago when it was like first starting and we got really into it and a lot of our friends did too and there was so much amazing fan art being created I'm thinking of Kate, BB Kate's art she was just she was so prolific and yeah. she was getting noticed by the creators and it's amazing art and she was so passionate about the show and these characters um, and a lot of us were we were having a lot of fun like watching a new episode of it every week and coming on twitter to talk about it afterwards and it it felt really good 
And then I think just because it coincided with another major wrap up of a different part of the story, it just kind of like faded away. Yeah. So I'm feeling a little nostalgic for that time in fandom now. Oh, that's really nice. (laughs) Yeah, no, the thing I was really thinking about was how at Star Celebration last year, there was an amazing cosplayer of Sonara. Yes. And I didn't take pictures of many cosplays because I, I, I do really appreciate cosplay, but I'm not like a huge follower of that. But I took a picture of that Sonara cosplay because oh, she was just amazing. She was amazing. And I was also thinking of the guy who cosplayed as Kaz at the panel. Do you remember him? Yes. Oh my God. That was so uncanny. <laughs> he was literally that character brought to life. That was, he was awesome. great. Yeah. So yeah, I was going to mention the the panel later because that was a real highlight for both of us and a oh, lot God, of people, yeah. I think, from from celebration. So. Yeah, that was still the best part of that whole celebration. But yeah, we'll talk about that later. So <laughs> yeah, fun fun memories. Um, just on a slightly more serious note, before we move on, um, obviously you can't be in the world right now and not know about the coronavirus and what a dreadful impact it's having everywhere. Um, and basically what I wanted to do was just give us both the opportunity to shout out a cause or charity that we really think is valuable and doing important work at this time. Um, so yeah, if anyone wanted to support the show in any way, so I know some people have mentioned about how they can support us in the past. What I'd really say is if you want to support us, please support these charities um, because, yeah, that would mean so much to us. And, yeah, it would just bring a huge smile to my face. Um, So my charity is um, the St. George's Coronavirus Appeal, um, which is being run by the St. George's Hospital Charity. And St. George's is a hospital in London. It's actually the hospital that treated me for my eye injury last week. So there's a slight air of, like, self-interest in this. I was so impressed by how amazing the doctors and nurses there were and the amazing level of care they provided. And this charity is basically about trying to make things better for the staff and providing support and supplies and mental health advice and all those sorts of things. And yeah, it's a wonderful cause. And I think right now, medical workers and frontline staff, they deserve all the support in the world. So yeah, I'll include a link in the notes. So yeah, if you'd like to support them, that would be amazing. Thank you. Yeah, definitely a worthy cause. Um, The charity that I would like to give a shout out to and request support if people are able to give it is um, Northwest Harvest. That's the statewide uh, food bank and hunger relief agency here in Washington state. Um, We were the first area within the US to report a COVID-19 death. And um, people who are already struggling with food insecurity, as well as those who have recently been made unemployed as a result of businesses closing and the economy changing, are among the most vulnerable and in need of our support right now. And um, donating money is the most effective way to support them because then these food banks can buy in bulk. So if you can spare what you can, that would be wonderful. Um, you can go to northwestharvest.org and donate directly there. Um, they have a COVID-19 hunger response fund with a goal of $5 million, and they're about halfway there at the moment. So anything you can spare for that would be wonderful. Yeah, no thanks, everyone. We don't often go into real-world stuff on this show, but yeah, it's just so incredibly important that everyone bonds together now and helps each other and supports the efforts going on to combat this. So yeah, thanks, guys. Um, okay, so on a more happy and bright note, let's talk about resistance. So the first thing that 
I wanted to do was actually start off with the episodes that we haven't talked about yet and I'll warn people in advance we're not going to talk about these episodes in considerable detail as in we're not going to talk through every aspect of what happens I'm just going to name the episodes and then we're just going to give general thoughts on this batch of episodes and which ones we most enjoyed and yeah any highlight moments that sort of thing so the episodes that we haven't talked about yet are The Missing Agent Breakouts, The Mutiny, The New World, <laughs> it's like Pocahontas, The New World, sorry, <laughs> No Place Safe, Rebuilding the Resistance, and The Escape. So that's all the episodes. Um, and the first few of these are, what are they even about? <laughs> sorry. Basically, with season two of Resistance, I have a syndrome that I'm going to call Tam Amnesia. <laughs> which is probably not the best name, so it makes it sound like I'm forgetting Tam. But what I mean Tamnesia. is, yeah, exactly, perfect. Um, but basically, it means I have this dreadful affliction where if an episode doesn't feature Tam, I just don't really remember it. No, you know, I I think that's fair. Mm. Um, and this is how these shows are always going to work. You're going to have a mix of episodes where some things just don't focus on the A plot. But, of course, we're going to be most invested in the A-plot and we're really interested in that character and what things were set up in episode in season one and like the culmination of that. Yeah. Um, so there was like this almost air of frustration with certain episodes of this season where it was like, oh my god, I just want to find out what happens with Tam, okay? I really care about that character. Yeah, same. <laughs> <laughs> so it does mean that it's then hard to remember stuff that happened aside from that main story because... Yeah, it's all kind of like window dressing, which is perfectly fine, but it's not the stuff that we were most emotionally invested in. Yeah, exactly. It's like, I know we both really like Sonara, and the first few episodes of this batch, they are quite Sonara-heavy episodes. So there's lots of action going on with um, the pirates, and basically the pirates being assholes and eventually being expelled from the Colossus. <laughs> like, <laughs> naughty children. Um but I don't know, there was something about the drama that wasn't especially engaging. And I think I figured it out and it's because Sonara wasn't really growing or evolving much as a character. Yeah, she, She's basically reached a point where she's good now and she's staying good and there's no more conflict. And I still like her, but she was most interesting in season one when there was that back and forth and that friction. You know where I'm coming from, right, Kirsty? No, I completely agree. And her relationship with Kaz and kind of what was left unsaid between them. Yeah. All of that stuff was really interesting. And you still get the sense with Sonara, she still seems like a bit of an enigma to me. It's just like not reflected in the text of the story. Mm. So um, you get the sense that there's a lot there that could have been further explored. And I think she's a total badass. Like it was really cool to see her standing um, against these people who had kind of made her feel like she had to behave in certain ways for so long yeah um so that was satisfying on some level um and just physically watching her kick ass was that was cool too um but yeah i know what you mean it was like they didn't quite it it's one of my problems with the show overall like they had these really interesting premises and then just um partly because i think the show ended up feeling rushed and probably finished prematurely didn't quite have the space and time to delve into things and really mine the potential of these characters as much as it could have done. Yeah. Um, and you see that reflected in all of them, and Sonara is just kind of one example. So. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then another episode that stood out for me was The New World, which is where the Colossus finally gets out of space. 
and it goes to a new world, which looks suspiciously like the old one. I expect probably for budget reasons. Um, and basically they encounter like natives on the planet who are this um, new alien species. And my overwhelming impression of this episode was just one avatar ripoff. Oh, I know. <laughs> Which again isn't like a bad thing. And I think if you're telling a story to young kids, it might be nice to have like something that's more recognisable to them in a visual sense. Yeah, sure. But... <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> the sun is so insincere. It wasn't bad. <laughs> yes. Um, and I, I do really like the idea of them going to more... I almost wish that had been more of a focus. Like the Colossus, not just um, traveling around by itself as an island, but being more connected with planets and species elsewhere. Yeah. Um, and more involved with the Resistance too, but I guess we'll get to that. Um, yeah, again, like perfectly enjoyable stuff, but um, kind of highlighted for me... Um, a gap with the whole show in my opinion as to like what are the themes being explored here mm. and and does that matter because again it's a show designed for young kids and it's perfectly enjoyable and maybe it is just supposed to be like saturday cartoon stuff which is like fun and cute um but i think comparing it to shows like rebels and clone wars where there are like discernible themes and arcs um kind of given time to breathe and evolve with character development i'm just uh yeah <laughs> i can't finish my thought there i'm just like again coming back to the idea of there being so much potential here that I, in my opinion wasn't fully explored yeah i think it's just because the character drama really just seemed to fizzle out towards the end it was all plot essentially um and there were elements of character drama but i did feel like they were secondary and it's a shame because I do think in quite a few cases they were probably establishing relationships and history that would have then been explored in future seasons, which obviously aren't going to happen. So I think, in a way, I want to be charitable and think along those lines because it's like, well, it does feel a bit pointless and aimless as it stands, but maybe it was actually meant to serve some greater purpose originally. I have to think that because... I know that these creators were so passionate about these characters. I know the actors were all really passionate about the the, the arcs that they identified for the character. Like we saw that when we went to that panel, they were speaking so eloquently and passionately about it. Yeah. And it was so exciting. It felt really good. Um, so yeah, I have to think like you that it was because things were cut prematurely and didn't really get a chance to evolve and be paid off, which is a real shame. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I do think stuff like the pirates being exiled from the Colossus, that was clearly a setup for something that would be followed through on in a future season, because then there would be history there and there would be this resentment because they were exiled over that whole situation. Um, mm. But yeah, as it stands, they're just like ticked off like naughty children. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's a theme that follows throughout the various plots of the story. Um We'll we'll get to it, but just the discrepancy between how this season began and then how things ended, it just feels kind of disconnected to me in a way. Yeah. And with the new world, I was again disappointed because in the very next episode, they leave the new world. I was like, for fuck's sake, we're not in space again. And we are in <laughs> space again. I think you raised the point that like maybe this show shouldn't have been called Resistance. <laughs> it was yeah. a little misleading. The thing is... 
It perfectly reflected the show at the beginning, I thought. Like when I went back to watch episode one again this week, it, I'd forgotten how connected it felt to the sequel trilogy and to the overall cause of the resistance and how present Poe was, um, how things started out with Leia being kind of the guiding force and being a real inspiration for Kaz. Um, and then all of that stuff just starts to kind of fizzle out and the Colossus, once it leaves, um, what's the name of the the planet that's on? Castellon? Yeah, I think Castellon, yeah. Um, yeah, once it leaves there and goes off in season two, and again, because season two is the end, you don't get kind of like the resolution of it, but it's just kind of a drift and the show is a drift as a result. Yeah. Um, and none of that really is resolved. And even by the end of the show, I know I'm jumping ahead and we'll talk about it in more depth, but things just feel very small mm-hmm. and it didn't quite deliver on the overall promise of the show that it would feel connected to the sequel trilogy era. Yeah. No, and it's a pity. It's like In No Place Safe, which is the episode following The New World, um, it starts off with Kaz being like, right, I finally want to join the fight and want to go and be with the Resistance. So he gets in his ship, he's like properly doing it, and I was like, yes, finally, it's really happening, yes! And I was so thrilled. And then, of course, his like, ship breaks down or whatever. And I was like, oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, he's never going to escape. It felt like the Twilight Zone. You know, like there are episodes of the Twilight Zone where someone like just keeps on trying to leave a place and all the forces conspire to stop them. <laughs> well, okay, so not to be... I- I'm sorry if this counts as spoilers for some people, but like we know from the Rise of Skywalker novelization, and of course we get that shot of all of those ships appearing at the the battle scene on Exegol in the Rise of Skywalker, and we see a ship that looks awfully like the Colossus. The novelization confirmed they hear Kaz's voice they're there if we'd had further seasons i'm guessing the idea eventually would be like how they rejoined the resistance and that's where we see things starting to go here but it's just not quite connected um and i'm hoping that you know they they cancelled the show for whatever reason we don't know but i'm hoping that like a novel or a comic series or something will fill in that and like finish that arc not just for the colossus as a whole although the colossus almost feels like its own character because it is such a focus like it is this community um but for these characters as well like i just feel like things could have gone a bit further yeah um and the fact that yeah now we have that confirmation that in canon they are there as part of that battle for you know against the final order the culmination of this era um, it makes it seem even more incongruous that the culmination of this series is just like, woohoo, we're all back together, but we're still on the Colossus and we have no idea where the resistance is. Yeah. <laughs> no way out. No escape. I, I hope, again, I think we have this like horrible <laughs> habit of like sounding overly negative about stuff that we actually enjoyed. It's just like... <sighs> it's really hard not to focus on the things that like with just a little bit of tweaking could have been better and again i don't think it's the creator's fault because i think they had more to say they might have even been working on future series when they were told that it wasn't going to happen yeah and as a result a lot of just stuff here just feels really rushed and not given the attention it deserves yeah um exactly and i do want to be clear that i think the last four episodes of season two are actually really quite good and some of them are among the best in the show like, I really do think No Place Safe is one of the show's best episodes. Um, I really enjoyed it. Um, but yeah, it's just as Kirsty says, when you're watching something with the benefit of hindsight and with all this context that we have from the movie and from knowing about the production, 
background you do just all you see is like the missed opportunities and yeah it's just a bit sad yeah i mean i'm probably calling myself out here to be honest because we've complained a little about the excessive fan service in the rise of skywalker but one element of fan service that could have actually been fan service for the younger generations and not just fans of the original trilogy um could have been including christopher sean's voice there at the end of the battle like oh my god that's kaz you know yeah um if you're going to include all this other stuff why not give a shout out to something that's actually like ongoing right now that ties into this era that isn't just an ot callback but actually includes characters that are part of the resistance but elsewhere yeah um so yeah in no place safe i um really liked that we actually um got to see tam again which is very important <laughs> and i also like the um verbal sparring between tam and rucklin which i love tam and rucklin's relationship thank you i feel like such a weirdo for kind of sure no, i think that's been a strength of season two yeah they've been a hilarious like couple like that, that dynamic has been really entertaining it's been really good and i was like heartbroken that he like died so unceremoniously <laughs> <laughs> i know i was kind of hoping that he would get a redemption arc too yeah i was like oh come on so i do think they invested quite a lot in that character you know just to put him aside like that but whatever i guess it shows some people don't deserve redemption i guess <laughs> what a star wars message no i'm not i'm not like an uber stan for rucklin i promise um and yeah i i did like the way that they built up tam's arc finally in those final four episodes because over the whole season we've seen her having these doubts and questioning whether she's doing the right thing and I felt that was some of the most like mature and naturalistic stuff they did in the whole show in terms of like honestly reckoning with the emotions of someone in that situation. And yeah, I particularly liked that they had to really be responsible for the destruction of a transport and the loss of who knows how many lives. That felt like really adult and brave for a show like this to do to be honest to have one of the like hero characters a point of identification actually make that sort of decision regret it and then make real tangible choices to go back and make it right as much as they can within their own power and i hate to invoke this but it did remind me of the rise of skywalker cop out with um chewie because it's sort of like (laughs) Well, Ray, you did still destroy a transport that had a bunch of people on it. Like, oh yeah, but they were just stormtroopers, see, and we don't care about those. Yeah, no, exactly. Which, to be fair, is like standard Star Wars logic that happens all the time. It feels so dissonant because they make such a big deal of that grief and horror over Chewie dying, and then it's like, oh, thank God, I just killed a bunch of other people. <laughs> That's why it's it on a different weird. transport. <laughs> <laughs> Ugh, trust. <laughs> But yeah, what did you think about how they handled um, Tam's arc in the like final few episodes, Kirsty? Well, it's kind of complicated because at the time I was like, I really just need to see Tam redeemed and survive mm. because this was like in my post-Tross immediate grief oh, era. Yeah. <laughs> but I was like, obviously, like pleased that Ben was redeemed. I figured that that was what was going to happen, but I hoped that we'd get more than five minutes of him and the thing would end with him like being able even in our minds, if they didn't choose to tell that part of the story, going on to a tone, which I think is the idea behind Tam's arc here, right? Yeah. Um, that it's not too late and she can still make things right. It's complicated because Tam's 
defection to the First Order is so tied up in her frustrations with her relationships um, to Kaz and Yiga. Mm. And in my opinion, there wasn't enough redemption on their part, specifically Yiga. I was actually quite disappointed. Um, I can't remember which one of these episodes it is, but he tells Kaz that some... I think... Again, sorry, I can't remember the quote. I haven't watched it in a while. But it's something like he starts to believe that Tam is a lost cause and she's just gone. Yeah. Um, And he tries to convince Kaz of that. And maybe it's like he's just trying to convince himself too. It's like he's hurt and she's just gone and there's nothing he feels he can do about it. Yeah. But even when she comes back, there's not like an unreserved apology on his part. And I really think he owed her that. Yeah, no, I agree. It was almost more like he was a disappointed dad and be like, oh, oh, well, you were a bit of a rebel, but come on back. You know, like it was framed as the fault was hers. Like when there was also fault on the other side. And they did acknowledge that to some extent, but I agree that, yeah, it wasn't quite given the weight it deserved, which is a shame. They did so much right with Tam. And yeah, just when there's like false steps, it's yeah a bit disappointing. Yeah, it's it's hard because maybe it's just a question of where it's placed because in my opinion, Tam really was wronged. Like she was lied to repeatedly and they could justify it however they want. Like I know from their perspective, they didn't think they were doing anything wrong, but it meant that Tam was making choices with that in mind and she felt really betrayed and she'd been working so hard. Like from her perspective, she'd been working her ass off. She wanted to be a pilot and Kaz just kind of came out of nowhere and started ruining things for her mm. and she didn't really understand why. And Yeager was keeping that from her too. And there was this trust there that was broken. And I just, for Tam's sake, and I really love this character, I just don't feel like things were corrected enough for her where she came back and was really adamant. You know, she was more than willing to admit that she'd made mistakes. And I just don't think the same was true for Yeager. And that was disappointing for me on his part too, because he was set up in a really compelling way in the beginning of season one. I kind of forgotten again, when I went back to watch it, I'd kind of forgotten how bitter and disillusioned and almost apathetic he was when we first met him and like Poe's trying to convince him that the resistance is a worthy cause and the first order is a real threat. Mm. He's very much of the mind that, well, I did my time with the empire and now I just want a quiet life. Um, So they succeed in like drawing him into this, but I don't know. He was such a trusted father figure for Tam. We don't know what happened with her family, but we get hints of Yeager's, and I just don't think it is given the way it deserves at the end. Yeah. No, and it's a shame. So I just think about all the ways in which that could have been properly given its due with another season. Yeah, exactly. I think if we'd got a third season, we would have seen them kind of awkwardly trying to get along again, but having gone through all of these changes apart. Yeah. Um, that could have been really satisfying and interesting. So I kind of think about how in season one, uh, there was a lot of frustration, I think, for both of us, where we were like, God, Tam has been so misused and she's just uh, always been left out of things and treated like a child, you know, not kept in the loop of the plans. But then obviously you have the redemption of all that and you realise that that's what motivates her to turn and then it all feels necessary and vital. Um and yeah I think a lot of the stuff in that we're talking about and the frustrations it would have been like if we had all that stuff in season one without the payoff of Tam turning to the first order it's it's satisfying that we got it and I I think like all the acting was amazing I think they all did the best they could and I truly believe that creators were doing the best they could with the time that they had here but I just think that things were cut short and as a result 
the story doesn't quite go as far as it could have done and what appeared to have been set up. Yeah, very important. And one last thing that I want to talk about specifically about this batch of episodes is the Kylo Ren appearance. Hmm. What's your What's your review, Kirsty? I don't quite understand the need for it. <laughs> I think it did feel very much like a trailer moment. It's like, right, we need a big hook for the trailer. Let's have Kylo Ren. Yeah, because that's pretty much all you get. Like, I I guess it's just like, oh, well, that's a popular character. Maybe we can hook a few more viewers in, like they did with Hux for the end of season one. But, um, yeah, I just don't quite get what he brought to it that was different. Yeah, I guess to show that Tierney is also under pressure from superiors. Yeah, no, I think that's the purpose. But does Tierney die at the end? Sorry, I should know this better than you. <laughs> I watched I, it so I recently. Don't know. Sorry, I, I, I honestly have no memory. <laughs> Let me check. Sorry, um, she's force choked to death. Well, I, yeah. So I figured that was like the implication there, but we don't know for sure. Yeah. Right? No, you're right. He, yeah. he just murders them. He's very literally a cartoon villain in Resistance. Yeah, just have your cake and eat it too. He's whatever you want him to be, I guess. But this is Han and Leia's kid, and I kind of hoped that they would show a bit more care. I just couldn't really get on board with how they used Kylo. It did just feel like a bit of a waste to me. Um, It was just so brief. There was like no texture to it. He was just like a big, grumpy, bad guy with none of the characteristics that actually make the character interesting or likable and yeah like in the voice like i know obviously they're not going to get adam driver to do the voice for kylo ren and something like resistance it's just not going to happen they got him for the lego game yes it's true and that was amazing but i think that was quite early on and yeah i presume that at this point adam driver he just has different priorities and yeah the voice was just distracting to me it sounded like the character had the helmet on as well when he obviously was animated to be without to be without the mask so Mm. yeah it just led to this like weird dissonance and it wasn't right (laughs) yeah i wondered if they were getting away with that because he was like through a hollow so it could have sounded a bit more distorted than normal but yeah, it did sound like his helmeted voice, which is kind of odd. I don't don't know if there was like a miscommunication with the voice artist and then like what they actually ended up doing with the animation. But animation is done way ahead, right? So they yeah. would know. Yeah, it's a little strange, but it's not. It's not like a deal breaker. It's, you know, he's my boy. It's always good to see him. Yeah, <laughs> in a way, it's nice that he's maskless. It meant you saw the beautiful cartoon version of that gorgeous <laughs> face. I definitely prefer Galaxy of Adventures animation for Kylo, I think. He looks much Honestly, in this series, I probably would have preferred to see him maskless because I feel like masked would have made more sense for that part, for what he was doing there. It's like in The Rise of Skywalker when he's like choking his subordinates or pointing a finger at them and he's masked for all of that because he's being badass supreme leader, right? He takes his helmet off for Rey's benefit. Yes. So um, it would have been more fitting, in my opinion, for him to be masked. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, like, I have reflections on the show as a whole as, like, a topic here, but I really feel like we've kind of tackled that already through um, the process of this discussion. I'll just say briefly that I do think it's a good show, and I did really enjoy it overall. I think, as we've stated, it just didn't live up to the promise it had early on, and there wasn't as much to be excited about in season two as there was in season one, which is a shame. 
Yeah, going back to watch episode one just a few days ago, it reminded me of why we fell in love with this show to begin with. Mm. It was so exciting. Kaz was such an instantly endearing character. Actually, actually, I say that, but I think maybe he annoyed you at first. Oh yeah, I think Kaz really pissed me off. Yeah, <laughs> it, t- it took me a while to um, okay. learn to love him. It's good if we feel slightly differently about things occasionally. Because I, I also loved Niku right from the start, but I think he also annoyed you a little bit. <laughs> I'm here for Tam and Tora. And I'm not sure who else I'm here for. But then they grew on me. And I do yeah. actually really quite like Niku now. He was lovely in the last few episodes. There was a really sweet moment, by the way, which I didn't talk about, where Kaz gave Niku his um, racing trophy. And oh, it was really sweet. Niku is perhaps one of my favourite characters in Star Wars. Wow. And Big words. he definitely has one of my favourite lines in Star Wars. Um, in the first episode when he says to Kaz, I'll just be outside pondering the weight of your deception. That is such a great line. Yeah. Okay. He is amazing. <laughs> and as as you say, I've come to love him really. Yeah, he's just so endearing. And I, I just love how he just puts things out there and says how it is and kind of exposes other people's insecurities. Inadvertently, of course. He doesn't really know what he's doing. But because of his goodness and his honesty and yeah just truthfulness um he he acts as such a great foil to the other characters and their flaws yeah um so he's really well done um do you remember how maybe we talked about this earlier i can't remember maybe before we started recording this show i swear when it started out it had us all thinking that there was going to become some kind of spy reveal or that kaz was going to genuinely like uncover some plot on the colossus like against the resistance on the part of the first order yeah no that was the expectation i think based on the premise but they never really followed through on that it was a bit weird well okay so i was trying to figure out the intentionality there because we we had a lot of fun week to week like looking at the character's behavior (laughs) and speculating (laughs) yeah there was the quite popular niku is the spy theory (laughs) oh my god just kind of putting it on it's like the darth Um, jar jar theory yeah, so it, like, it was fun to speculate, but ultimately wasn't the point. But part of me is now wondering if, in hindsight, the idea is that Kaz goes there to uncover all this stuff and in- inadvertently kind of causes a lot of conflict. Because mm. he really does bring a lot of that trouble to the Colossus in terms of, like, uh, straining the relationship between Tam and Yeager and kind of causing her to defect. Um, part of me wonders if that was the point or if there was any amount of intentionality behind that. What do you think? It's a really good observation, and I like that theory. I'm just, I don't know, maybe my trust has been broken. I'm not sure I trust. No, I get it. (laughs) I've realised over the past few months that this is part of the fun of being in fandom, and it's it's fun for its own sake, as long as you don't get too attached to pet theories. But in a way, we put a lot more thought into this than certain creators might. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And like, in a way, that's nothing to be ashamed of. It's part of what makes it so fun. Um, yeah. the fact that we do find so much meaning in it but yeah in terms of what might have been going through the creators brains I, I'm really not sure like I'd, I'd like to think that that process was there though and as you said at the panel at Celebration they did like demonstrate that they had given so much care and thought to stuff and that there was so much engagement with the characters and their development so it, it's possible anything's possible yeah true um another thing that was really interesting that i felt was kind of set up as a potential part of the story early on but then wasn't kind of like the overall 
backstory and different perspective that Kaz had as someone more involved in the New Republic side of things as opposed to the Resistance. Mm. Initially, of course, he like joins the Resistance. But when we first meet him, he's in that like swish, stylish, colourful New Republic flight suit with the helmet and the snazzy logo. And um, his dad is like mistrusting of the Resistance and stuff. And it's just like this idea that he's kind of rebelling a little bit of course, by joining a rebellion like the Resistance before people are starting to take the First Order really seriously as a threat. Mm. Um, and again, we could have continued to get kind of more perspective there. We we did to an extent because he's really genuinely shocked and it's very powerful when we see Hosni and Prime and like Hux making that speech from his perspective because that's his home and he doesn't know if his parents are literally there on the planet when it explodes. Yeah, But again, it's kind of dropped after that. Yeah. And I just think that could have been a really interesting perspective. Like we've talked about before that one of our um, kind of disappointments with the sequel trilogy era as a whole is that there's not too much in the way of world building and kind of setting the scene before the events of The Force Awakens. We see Hosni and Prime blowing up and that's the centre of the New Republic, but we don't really understand the weight of that because we haven't seen it in action in the first place. Mm. So we could have had like a valuable window into that uh, scenario with Kaz and it's there but it's just not quite enough yeah no I agree like honestly like now that you're saying it that really stands out to me but when I was watching season two it didn't even really register to me that that was missing because it's just not acknowledged really um, because the Colossus really does become his home so that's yeah. nice in a way and it kind of fits into those wider themes of Star Wars like people you know, finding family and community in somewhere that they didn't expect. Yeah. But there's still, like, very little reflection on what he's lost. Yeah, exactly. Which, again, like, it, a part of me feels like we're expecting too much from the show. But <laughs> yeah. I think it's only because season one was so good and it did go to these places that, yeah, it possibly created expectations that were too high for the follow-through. And again, the idea that they maybe would have followed through eventually and just didn't get the chance. Um, because, yeah, there was so much rich drama there, like with that whole destruction of Hosnian Prime. And like just to have an episode where like Kaz actually reunites with his father or a sibling or anything, you mm. know, and really gets to hear like a first hand account of what happened. And that would probably be too harrowing for a show that's fundamentally for little kids but it got it could have been good and again hopefully this is the sort of stuff where maybe eventually we will get that book about these characters because that could be yeah. really great stuff for a book and i would 100 percent read that there are so many wonderful characters here and so much they could do with them and even minor characters i find really compelling like aunt z yes i'd read a book about her i want to know about her life flicks and, and orca what, what she... yeah <laughs> yes. so there's so much here um, and I hope it's not the end of them. Like, I, I, Star Wars is great at spinning out stories about various side characters and stuff. And we we can be cynical to an extent about certain choices there. But for all of these characters, I really feel like there is fertile ground. Yeah. So um, I'm expecting more eventually on characters like Kaz, Sonara, and Tam. And even Yiga. But um, yeah, even those smaller characters, like you say, Flix and Orca. I'd watch a whole spin-off series about them yeah no 100 percent. they're just so vibrant and lovely and i think i was kind of sad that they barely appear in, in like the last part of the season um although we did get a few nice episodes that were quite centric on them so i i shouldn't be too greedy 
um but yeah i was thinking what i really want to do with this to end off in a positive is to run through some of the very best episodes from the show because like yeah we have been critical and mentioning the things that perhaps didn't quite live up to our expectations so yeah it's a nice opportunity to remind ourselves of what we love about resistance so yeah with um season one and obviously i want you to chip in Kirsty so just shout whenever you have anything to add I think really essential viewing is the opening two-parter where Kaz actually joins the resistance and goes to the Colossus Um, and I feel like the reasons why that's essential are pretty obvious (laughs) (laughs) no I I totally agree I think it's a really strong opening I remember being instantly hooked and it all kind of came flooding back for me watching it again this week Um, it's it's just done really well. The characters are introduced really effectively. I love the little cameos from Leia and how you see uh, from Kaz's perspective how she's kind of appreciated and revered throughout the galaxy. Obviously not universally because we know from Bloodline that she was also treated with suspicion. Mm-hmm. Um, but from a younger character like Kaz who young audiences will relate to and it's like, wow, that's Leia. Like I, I really enjoyed the way that was done. It was really cute. The line, what does he say to he says to Poe, like, oh, I think she's the bravest person in the galaxy. Oh, and tell her I said hello. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Really cute. It's really cute, yeah. And it's just so awesome and intriguing to have all those direct connections to the mainline movies, which, mm-hmm. yeah, I hate to say it, but that does instantly make an episode more interesting when you can really see how it connects and stuff. Honestly, Resistance Poe is my favourite Poe. Yeah, I think Oscar did an amazing job with the performance with what he had. I don't know if he's done voice acting for other things. Oh, he did the Adams Family recently, right? Yeah, no, he I did seen that. But so, so he has some experiences with it. But he's obviously a very talented actor. Period. But he did an amazing job, in my opinion, with the show. Um, and I'm kind of sad that again, because Poe's off doing other things, obviously within the time period of the second season, we don't see him. But um, I really enjoyed what we did get of him in the first season. Yeah. No, he's a great character. Um, and then the next episode I'd nominate is um, The Children from Tahar, um, mm. which is... <laughs> which, again, is something that's not kind of... I don't know, we don't see much of them towards the end. Yeah! they kind of, They're in the background, but the... Yeah. <laughs> they, they kind of, like, fade away. Let's put it that way. They are still part of the show as it goes on, so they become recurring characters. But they're never really important characters. Um, they have like one-off episodes where they're more prominent but yeah you don't find out too much about them but yeah the reason I nominate this episode really is for quality I just think it's one Mm. of the better done episodes Um, it's got really great drama and there's also some really neat force stuff going on with the kids um, which again their force powers aren't really explored too much but whatever Um, and yeah it's also the first mention of Kylo Ren in the show which I remember us nostalgically being very very hyped about at the time so yeah yeah, Miku's like what is a Kylo Ren (laughs) (laughs) oh happy happy memories and also the shell folk amazing creature design I really love those exactly as a tortoise lover it was pretty pretty (laughs) special they were just so cute and yeah, such a unique idea, I thought. Yeah, they're definitely one of the best alien species, I think. I'd love to see them in live action, although they'd look really, really creepy. They would be creepy because they're like human size. But... <laughs> <laughs> Find yeah, a way to make it work, I love. Dark crystal stuff of that. Yeah, oh my god, yeah, make them puppets, not even CGI, <laughs> make them actual puppets. Oh my god, okay. 
so then the next episode um, that I want to bring up is Signal from Sector 6. And I kind of felt like this was a slightly rote episode. It has some like cool distinction stuff like Poe appears again. But the main reason I wanted to nominate it is because it's the first time we get Sonara in the show. And she has quite a cool arc. So yeah, you can't talk about a character's arc unless you talk about how they start out. So yeah, that's why I'd like to nominate that episode. Yeah, I really love Sonara herself, but I also love what she does for Kaz too. Like their relationship is really interesting. It challenges him. Um, you get a sense of romantic interest, but because it's Star Wars, <laughs> nothing is really made explicit. Um, she's kind of left on the table, but it, you get the sense that she's going to be a very important person in Kaz's life even as we've said she kind of fades away a little bit from season two but um her coming into his life does change it and she challenges him morally too so yeah so and also this one in a much more superficial way I also really enjoyed like the introduction of the Kowakian monkey lizards again yes (laughs) I thought that was really interesting like that giant one I was like oh my god (laughs) Oh my god, was this one the episode you rewatched um to prepare for this? No, no, I only watched the first episode. I didn't have time for anything else. But I, I think I'm going to go back and rewatch it cuz just just thinking about it now, I've said it before, but there is so much good in season 1. Yeah. Um, there really is. Yeah. It, it's such a feel good show. Yeah. So that's kind of what I need right now to be honest. Oh, bless you. Yeah, no, it's important. <laughs> Um, and yeah, that's great. This um, whole segment of the podcast is having the desired effect. <laughs> <laughs> it's making me want to go and watch it. So yes. How about the audience? <laughs> it's perfect. Um, okay, so then the next one is Secrets and Holograms, which again, I don't feel like this one's super essential for like the main arcs of the show, but it's a really great character episode for Tora. It's yeah. absolutely one of her best episodes. And yeah, there's just some cool... like show mythology stuff like discovering the imperial uniform of Tora's Mm -hmm. father and that sort of thing and it's just exciting it's well done it's tightly written so yeah is one that I would recommend I totally agree and I didn't mention this earlier and I don't know how because one of the spin-offs from Resistance and these characters that I would most love to see is something charting the Dozer's love story. Yes! Oh my god, that'd be great. And that is such ripe material for a novel as well. Yeah, get Claudia Gray to write that. I know it would be too much like Lost Stars, but yeah. I think for that reason, we probably wouldn't get her involved. We'd probably get someone else on the case, but it's classic Star Wars stuff, right? Lovers from different factions. And um, we know that eventually they do get a happy ever after. They're reunited. So that's something that season two gives us. Um, uh, a happy ending for this family reunited with their love so you get the angst there for sure and i i do love as the show goes on when you you realize that tora's mum is still in the picture but they don't talk about her that much for everyone else she's a bit of a secret because she's working for the rebellion and that they have this thing where they do meet up with her every year but just for this small period of time yeah so, poor tora no it's really lovely and yeah there's all sorts of great intrigue going on there but yeah, there's some interesting stuff here. And again, it's not like, because it, it's a cartoon for kids, it's not like explored to a deep degree, but you, but it's there. Um, questions posed here about um, privilege and how Tora is like this princess in the tower and she's surrounded by toys and has this pet and video games and everything that she could supposedly want. And like the other characters are looking around in awe. But 
in terms of like actually what she wants she has this level of frustration where she doesn't feel like she's free to do things she's not free to leave the tower all the time um, and there is this tension in her relationship with her father where he's understandably desperate to protect her he actually has an understanding of how serious things are but doesn't want to let her know because he doesn't want to scare her yeah um yeah there's a lot of interesting stuff there yeah it's really good then the next episode um that i would recommend is another sonora centric one um which is the dozer dilemma and yeah this is basically one of the best episodes for exploring sonora's conflict and yeah specifically that tension between her new loyalties to kaz and the people on the colossus who've been so kind to her and her loyalties to the pirate gang that she's basically been in cahoots with for an extended period of time so yeah it's just important to watch for sonara's arc i think and for kaz because yeah there's so much about that relationship between the two of them yeah i am such a sucker for that moment with these morally conflicted characters where they are being treated with kindness and they don't think that they deserve it but they like it and want to keep things going yes it's (laughs) Um, so good yeah and like you say it's really important for kaz too because he has this thing where he's become to he cares about this woman but also feels suspicious but doesn't want to um and it just sets up a lot of interesting tension yeah um yeah i think their relationship's so interesting yeah it was really well done um and then the next one is basically the episode that resolves sonara's arc in season one um which is the first order occupation and yeah basically it's kaz discovering sonara's true nature and still helping her escape like regardless of like the morally ambiguous things she might have done and yeah it's just leaves sonara on a great note um for i think the finale because she comes back and helps i think at that point um because yeah she's like wow that person even though i don't deserve it as kirsty observed um and and not say she doesn't necessarily deserve it but she thinks she doesn't deserve it so you know what i mean um he still came through for me he still helped me and cared about me and yeah that means something and yeah that's very stalls and very wholesome yeah one relationship that i wish had been explored more and i can't remember which episode it is where they do interact and there is this like conversation between the sonara and tam there's this conversation they have at one point where they're both kind of talking about how they want more from life um but you get the sense that there are a lot of parallels maybe in their background that aren't like made explicitly clear we don't know for sure what happened in tam's past but the fact is she's on the colossus she doesn't seem to have biological family here they're not mentioned and yiga is clearly a father figure for her yeah so so she hasn't had the easiest life to whatever degree we're not sure but obviously you get the sense from sonara too um and they're just kind of coming together and maybe have this camaraderie because of that um and in my head canon they are close friends behind the scenes too we don't see it but um i would love to think that they had bonded over that yeah um and then when when tam comes back to the colossus sonara for obvious reasons would maybe be one of the characters who would most understand her choices there and would be instantly forgiving of that yeah no that's what i'd want as well because yeah oh just thinking about that it makes me think about how many great stories you could have had with tam process and stuff and yeah those conversations with sonara give us the book please yeah okay um yep then we get the core problem and this one i'm nominating mainly because it's the last appearance of poe i think in season one 
And it's also where BB-8 says goodbye to the Colossus and gets I swapped know. out for CB-23. So, yeah, yeah. it's very emotional stuff. <laughs> CB-23 is also great, so it's not like a big loss, but I do like this one for, like, you, you clearly see the tie-ins with the events of The Force Awakens, and you see that Poe is on this precipice of... <laughs> the huge ramifications of what happens in that story it's kind of cool to see him just before he goes on on his mission to Jakku to find Lor Santeca because um, everything's going to change for him there but yeah really well done and the implication here maybe is that this planet is maybe it's made clear I can't remember that this is the planet that the children from Dahar come from yeah I think it's the implication isn't it I'm not sure if it's made explicit or not. I I can't remember. There's something on the planet that ties with one of their belongings Mm. or there's like some kind of rune or something. Right. Yeah, no, I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah. There's another reason to watch it again, (laughs) Kirsty. True. (laughs) Then we can confirm this. Um, And yeah, then really, I would strongly recommend the final four episodes of the whole season, which are basically like one continuous story at that point. Um, Because yeah, it all just builds and builds. So that's um, The Disappeared, Descent, and then No Escape, Parts 1 and 2. Because, um, yeah, it's just really high drama, essentially, because the First Order comes to the Colossus, and then all hell breaks loose, essentially, because the First Order reveal Kaz's true nature to Tam, and then that precipitates this series of events where Tam feels betrayed and ultimately goes over to the First Order. And then you get this amazing situation where the final two episodes, they converge with The Force Awakens and the destruction of Hosnian Prime, as we mentioned earlier. And yeah, it was just so, so cool to get another perspective on that, complete with playing Hux's speech. It's just like goosebumps. Yeah, it's really cool to see that speech again, but from a completely different perspective of someone watching it from across the galaxy, but having such close ties to what happens. Because it... I mean, the thing about it in The Force Awakens is that obviously we're at that point in the story invested in the characters of Finn and Rey and obviously we're invested in Han, but they don't... At that point, it's not super clear to us. We know from other material that Han lived on Hosnian Prime once upon a time when he was with Leia, but there's not an emotional investment in it in the same way. It's just, oh, the First Order just did something bad. But for Kaz, that moment is absolutely devastating and it's really well done. Yeah. No, it's just amazing execution. I still remember him watching from behind the boxes and all oh, just the face. It's like that cartoon yeah. face shouldn't affect me so much. Aww, poor Kaz. Yeah, it really is. And yeah, just all the drama with um, Tam being separated from her friends. And there's this really emotional like moment, basically, where they're parting for the final time in this season. Mm. And yeah like expressing their feelings and the truth for the first time because obviously Kaz has been like completely hiding all this time and yeah it just feels like such a rare moment of emotional honesty in a show like this where you would have what often seemed like just silly hijinks to fill time it's like no that did actually have consequences and it did have a point in the narrative and yeah I just really appreciated that yeah and because how the the story across this season is told so well and you get all of these characters perspectives and frustrations it does like you say feel really emotionally honest and genuinely tragic because you can see each character's perspective and you know that they all wanted the best they didn't mean to hurt tam and you believe them when they say it 
but they did because they lied and that was wrong and they put her in danger and she didn't know um and you just feel the weight of it like it i can't emphasize how well it's done really yeah um because yeah you empathize with all of them and because of that it does have that tragic weight to it and you want it to be set right so you're instantly hooked in to see how things are going to be resolved in season two and then how season two opens is really done as well because you really feel the pain from kaz like he can't stop thinking and worrying about tam yeah um like the way that season one ended is why we were so excited at the um panel for resistance when they gave us an amazing poster and it's um kaz's face on one side and tam's face on the other and Mm. oh it's just such a great poster um and yeah also the episode um which is the next recommendation of course so i actually have the first two episodes of season two which are into the unknown and a quick salvage run um and yeah it's just basically establishing what the new status quo is because tam's position was slightly unclear in relation to the first order like it wasn't clear if she was actually going to join as a recruit even though that was the offer on the table and then by the end of the first episode, she has made that decision and she puts the helmet on. And yeah. that's a great moment. Oh, it's an all timer. I remember us all screaming over that. <laughs> yes, it was so, so good. Oh, just that panel it was just electric. Amazing. Um, yeah. And yeah, then you also get this um, great drama where Kaz is desperately trying to reach Tam and so desperate that he's making these pretty foolish mistakes to be honest yeah it's kind of irresponsible but i can appreciate irresponsible people doing irresponsible things for good reasons um and yeah that and i think that's another really good way in which they demonstrate like where tam's at in terms of her allegiances so it would have been very easy to have her back out of the whole thing at that point and be like kaz i want you to come and get me i don't want to do this anymore but like no she was really genuinely hurt and she wants to do this she feels compelled that the first order is the right cause and it's the right option for her given her circumstances um so yeah that felt like quite brave storytelling yeah and i think you see the consequences and the extent to which the first order have successfully had this propaganda that people genuinely believe that they're there for their protection that they have um good intentions of course they don't but they've managed to convince maybe themselves and other people of that so tam when she joins up she she really whether she's kidding herself or not she does seem to believe that she's in the right place and on the right side and of course rucklin thinks that too um, to the end so. yes it's a loyal little loyal little first order recruit <laughs> um yeah and and also because we haven't really talked about her yet i do also just want to give agent tierney a shout out i really like that character mm, she's chilling she's really well done by <laughs> tamara tamara <laughs> it's like i just find i love how she uses her full name i don't know how intentional this was but between her and yiga you did almost get this like warring parents over the child thing oh yeah absolutely it was like a very paternalistic vibe i think from both of them and you have like good parent bad parent (laughs) dichotomy i think yeah and again it's not fully explored we don't know for sure unless there's like a throwaway line somewhere and i genuinely forgot but i don't think there's anything explicitly stated about tam's biological parents yeah but you get the sense that there's something missing so when tierney shows up and she's very much playing good cop at first at least to try and get Tam on her side 
it's like they betrayed you they don't care about you but we do yeah and it's very effective and yeah again it speaks to that psychological depth and complexity that i think is quite surprising in a cartoon like this but it's really Mm. effective and then the next one live fire is not as essential i'd say as the first two but it's still a really good episode and it has some great tam content so basically you'll notice this theme where all the episodes i'm recommending i think apart from one or two um are tam episodes (laughs) um and yeah in this one it's basically i'm just going to talk about tam okay (laughs) so it's basically tam training to be a tie fighter pilot and she like saves rocklin like during the course of the exercise and there's just some really great stuff where you get these like reprimands for like daring to save someone and it's like but that's not efficient how do you yeah i thought there were some good finn parallels there yeah like before the awakening where he has too much compassion for his fellow cadets yeah um yeah, and Phasma's calling him out on that, but of course you have different figures doing the same for, for Tam. Yeah, it's just some nice um, consistency in terms of that First Order ideology. Um, and then another episode I really enjoyed was um, the Relic Raiders. And that was one where um, it's... Again, it's not like a... It's not central to the main arc, but it's just a good episode, in my opinion. And it's perhaps at its best because it has this amazing archaeologist named Mika Gray. Yeah, I'd like to see more of her at some point. <laughs> yeah, she was great. And she's just so pissed off of Kaz all the time. <laughs> Understandably, yeah, Kaz annoyed me in this episode. Oh my God. Yeah, and I was like, oh, you're just so me. <laughs> this is just me. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I wish I was that brave or daring to be an archaeologist like that. Obviously not, but um, yeah. My idealised cartoon self is Mika Gray basically yeah not to be too much of a downer but remember when this came out and we were like oh i wonder what the implications of this are going to be for the rise of skywalker because of course there are all these like sith temples and like relics and the emphasis on collecting and i think at that point we already had a hint that kylo was going to be doing the same thing in the lead up to the movie because obviously the first order are doing this on his behalf as a supreme leader to what end i guess he's trying to find palpatine or something yeah, uh, I don't know if he's heard Palpatine's voice at this point, but like, he's he's looking for Sith relics and temples for whatever reason. Um, yeah, I just remember speculating on what that could mean for the story, but it's in within like the first five minutes of that movie. Yeah, so. that whole relic hunting plot it is literally Kylo grabbing that wayf- wayfinder and holding it up to his face. <laughs> and I'm not going to complain too much. He looks fantastic in that shot, but um, yeah, it's not much of an arc for him. So yeah, bless our innocent souls. Could have been because we know he was on Mustafar and killing Vader's cultists, and yeah. that could have been cool character stuff. But we know that from the Visual Dictionary. So <sighs> sorry. No, don't worry. We, we need a um, Tross amnesty on this show at some point. We're going to reach a point where we just don't talk about it. <laughs> It's like the thing, <laughs> the dark times. No. <laughs> um, okay. And then the next episode, I think this is easily the best episode of season two and right up there with the very best episodes of the whole show, in my opinion. And that is Rendezvous Point. And this is just a lovely Dozer family episode. So we finally meet Tora's mum, Vinnie Stozer. And she is just such a wonderful character. She's really great. And there's this lovely dynamic with the family. And 
that's the case even though you don't actually see them meet in this episode due to poignant reasons that I won't explicitly spoil um and yeah the real bulk of it is that Venice is captured by the first order and there's just these great encounters and dynamic and and just generally a great dynamic going on between Venice and Tam and yeah mm-hmm. it's just some great soul searching stuff for Tam because Tam at this point in the show she really really wants to be 100% committed to the first order and she doesn't see any way back and Venice's role is all about so is all about saying, but there is still a way, a way back, and that just throws Tam into new chaos internally, and it's just really well done. Yeah, this was a really interesting choice that I didn't see coming, but in hindsight, made perfect sense. That to get through to Tam, as you see in this episode, she's really like, oh, okay, she, she's kind of taken aback and starts to question things a lot more is that you need someone who knows her from the past but isn't connected to the classes in the same way and isn't in a position to like judge her morally Mm. and she has no interest in doing that like she's not judging her at all she just wants to help her and make her see what it is that she truly wants out of life and i think that's so important for tam that it's not coming from like a um an admonishing punitive elder figure like it would come from yiga like wagging his finger at her like he was at the end of season one or at least like that's how it came across to Tam is that it's someone genuinely looking out for her and like yeah you know I've made mistakes before and everyone does but is this really what you want just think about it yeah I think that's really effective yeah it's really well done and like I also love all the revelations about like the arrangement that the Dozer family has mm-hmm. with Venice going out and fighting the war where where um where Captain Dozer stays with Tora basically and looks after their daughter and it makes so much sense of all that uber protectiveness that was going on in season one and it really recontextualizes that oh yes stay at home dad yeah yeah (laughs) no absolutely (laughs) you're right um and yeah it's just lovely and i think the note it ends on as well with um tora and captain dozer finally like getting together to think about tora's mum and how much they miss her but how there will be other opportunities i just think that's lovely yeah really well done great episode um and then the other episode and there are a few others i'm just going to mention briefly after this one um is station to station which yeah is another really good episode um with is it the the title is the primary phase <laughs> that appeals <laughs> You can read me like a book, Kirsty. Yeah, the David Bowie reference does help to endear me to this episode. Um, But I do also think it's a good episode in its own right. Um, And yeah, it's basically just another Tam episode. And I love Tam. And yeah, like, and it also has some nice Hux action going on. So you get like, you know, it's a big episode in air quotes when like a character from the sequel trilogy appears, basically and yeah it's just really nice and it's good to see that interaction between Kaz and Tam again because it is sort of a stepping stone to that ultimate reconciliation you get at the end of the season so yeah just a good episode totally agree yeah I'm a real highlight for me this season which I was not expecting was the Tam and Rucklin dynamic because of course in season one the conflict is between Kaz and Rucklin (laughs) yes and you you think Rucklin is going to be this kind of one note almost guest or cameo or whatever um but i think elijah wood does a really great job with this character and he clearly had fun with it because he's just 
such little shit but <laughs> strangely endearing with it yeah so he's wonderful <laughs> and and hooks was a real highlight in this episode too yes no i, I yeah didn't expect that because and i i know other people are huge hooks fans and that's totally fair but um I didn't expect him to be a highlight of the show for me, but he was. Yeah. Just admit he's your secret fave, Kirsty. No. Donald could be. Donald's <laughs> very cute. Yes. But, uh, okay, I, again, <laughs> I need to leave Tross alone, but... <laughs> leave it alone, Kirsty. Leave it alone. <laughs> oh, poor Hux. Yeah, bless him. Rest in peace. Let's do a Hux spotlight. No. <laughs> Sorry. Um, okay. And yeah, then really, I would just say that to wrap up the show, you should really watch the final four episodes, which I won't go into in depth right now because we talked about them at the beginning of the show. Um, But yeah, they just wrap everything up, basically. And you get that resolution to Tam's arc where Tam comes home, which is very important. And again, like it might not have been handled exactly in the way that we might have wanted it to be, to feel like the most fulfilling and earned. But I do think it helps give the show at least some sense of closure and catharsis that she comes back at the end. Because, totally. Yeah, it would I have think... been a shame to leave that hanging. Yeah, I think for me it's just that I'm really hungry for Star Wars stories to explore what happens after that. Mm. Like, what happens after someone makes the right choice again and comes home? Like, yeah. how do you navigate the, those relationships after everything that's been said and done? Um yeah, I think that would be interesting to see. <laughs> Maybe we'll get it eventually. Yeah. What you want is that season three. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, we might get it in another form, but I, the show is obviously done. So Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, what I'd really say to end on is just this show is definitely worth your time. Like, I'd say, especially if you follow, like, our preferred viewing list. And again, like, there are other episodes that are also really fun and good. But I feel like if you just watch the episodes we've identified here, and this probably sounds egotistical about my taste or whatever, I feel like you're doing all right. You know, you can be pretty happy with that viewing order and you probably wouldn't be missing anything too fundamental uh, in terms of show arcs or anything. Like, Although you should also watch the Flix and Orca episodes because, yeah, you can't go wrong with Flix and Orca. Yeah, and there were episodes in season one that were more standalone, like when Niku... Is it Bebo? Yes, Bebo. Friend? I remember that causes some conflict between us. I think I still wasn't on the Niku train at that point. Oh, uh, okay. I was a bit like... Uh, but I know you loved it, so yeah. Yeah, I really did. And I think the the main reason I had a little more frustration with those what we might call filler episodes in the second season was because I was all too aware that this was the final season and I was so invested in seeing what they were going to do with Tam. I really wanted her to to leave the First Order and come home. But of course, you know it's going to be like towards the end because that's how Star Wars goes. But it was just like, oh, why are we treading water when there's this really important stuff we can get to? Whereas earlier on in the show, it just had this more like relaxed pace and you were getting to know the characters. Mm. Um, so now it's all said and done. I, it might be more enjoyable to go back and look at those episodes and just kind of enjoy them for what they are. Yeah. I, I felt like I was this way through The Mandalorian as well. It's probably... <laughs> very annoying to hear about because it's like in hindsight the show is paced differently once it's all done um you you get a totally different viewing experience so yeah no absolutely and yeah i'm really glad we like sort of wrapped it up on this note because yeah it's just nice to remember what we love about this show and what makes it so strong and really good 
Um, because yeah, it does feel like an overlooked gem to me, and it's a hundred percent like worth checking out. And if you love Star Wars, it's a great slice of that world. So yeah, give it a chance. I'd be I'd <laughs> honestly be surprised if anyone listened to all this without having watched any of Resistance. I was prior. gonna say <laughs> we're recommending episodes, but people probably already watched it. <laughs> like we can always release this as a standalone. <laughs> Start the propaganda push. Okay, and just on a very, very final note, Kirsty, I just want a snap answer from you, okay? For the next animated series, which is a hypothetical, we don't know that another animated series is coming right now, what would you choose that series to be about? But it cannot be about Ben Solo or the early years of Luke's Academy. Oh, I don't think I want that at the moment anyway. Okay, Um, I would want something that, I think we mentioned this last week, that focuses on Rose, Janna, Ray and maybe Kador. Yeah. Um, something something girl gang focused in setting the sequel trilogy era. That would be amazing. Yeah, that'd be really awesome. I don't expect it. <laughs> but I would love that. Yeah. I'd want a um, sort of like office style series set in the propaganda wing of the First Order. <laughs> of course you would. Yeah. <laughs> Just with like endless Hux content, which would probably drive you mad, but I would live for it. <laughs> No, I I enjoy Hux. I think okay, he's hilarious. Good. Yeah, and I would just want there to be this like huge power struggle like between season one and season two. So like, say season one is set for, pre Force Awakens slash Force Awakens, when Hux is like the public face of propaganda, and then season two is like after the Last Jedi, and Aww. Kylo Ren becomes the main face of propaganda, and like Hux is just like relegated to the proverbial broom cupboard. That'd be so funny <laughs> to me. Um, but yeah, I should just run my own fan fiction because that's not going to happen. <laughs> Same. I don't expect a Star Wars series anytime soon to focus on female relationships. Yeah. So. Like I said, we got a tiny taste of it between Tam and Sonara for, I think, one or two scenes. Yes. And I was like, wow, that's really interesting. And, We're being fed yeah. today. <laughs> oh my God. It's so true, yeah. though. Yeah, that's not a priority. But yeah. We have to take what we can get. Exactly. Um, as always, guys, if you have any questions for the show, please do send them to scavengershorde at gmail.com. I'm Rachel, and you can find me on Star Wars Nonsense on Tumblr. I'm Kirsty, and you can find me at Bastila Bay on Tumblr. And you can find both of us on Twitter at scavengershorde. Until next time, bye! Bye!